In 2021, through Azika Records, the innovative Houston, Texas-based Apollo Chamber Players released their fifth studio album with Malice Toward None. Taking its title from Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address, the recording deals with politics, identity, and what it means to be a citizen of a nation balanced between an idealized past and a just future. Featured on this recording is a unique work by composer-performer Pamela Z, titled The Unraveling. Pamela Z has collaborated with the Kronos Quartet, Eighth Blackbird, the Orchestra of St. Luke's, among others. Pamela Z is here with us, along with Apollo Chamber Players violinist and founder Matthew Dietrich. Hi, Pamela and Matthew. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for having us. Pamela, how did you first get into music and what was your journey like transitioning from the traditional to the experimental? Well, I've been involved in music my entire life. I think I was five years old when I had my first public performance, and it was the talent show at my elementary school. And I also studied viola when I was in elementary school and in junior high school. So I'd just been singing and making music pretty much all my life. As a youth, I was a singer-songwriter, and I played 12-string guitar and also a six-string guitar and a hollow-body electric guitar. And then I entered university where I studied classical music, and I was a voice major. So by day, I was singing opera arias and art song, and by night, I was playing gigs in clubs. I think that my first experience with experimental music and more contemporary music was after I got out of school. I realized kind of late in my time at university that the most interesting people seemed to be the composition majors rather than performance majors or music education majors because they were studying with people who actually believe they're still living composers. After I got out of school, I started doing radio. I had a program on the local public radio station in Boulder, Colorado, where I went to school. And I had a new music program called the Tuesday Afternoon Sound Alternative. While doing that program, I began to delve into the stacks of the radio station and found recordings by people like Alvin Lussier and compilations that were put together by Charles Amerkanian on the 1750 Arch label. I started listening to music by people like Brian Eno and David Byrne and Philip Glass and Steve Reich and Laurie Anderson and Pauline Oliveris. Listening to that kind of music, I found that my whole paradigm shifted. I found my voice as an artist when I started using electronic processing and processing my voice in real time. At first with just digital delay, and then I added reverb and multi-effects processors. When I first started working with a digital delay and discovered that I could create layers of my voice in real time, that really turned my compositional method on its head, and I started making an entirely different kind of work. You're quoted in a 2021 New York Times article as saying, I consider my instrument really to be the combination of my voice and the electronics. As a performer, I'm not just singing and then putting some effects on that. I'm not just making electronic sounds. When I tell people that I'm a musician, their first question is always, oh, what instrument do you play? 
When I answer the question, it's always tempered by like how much knowledge I think that the person I'm talking to has. Because if I say voice and electronics, I would say to the average person that doesn't really mean much. All of my solo work is made by singing and speaking through processors. I'm generally grabbing samples in real time of my voice, then either layering those or granulating them, and then they get spit back out as grains of sound mixed together in different ways. I consider my instrument to be the combination of those things. I work in real time with this processing. As you read from that article, that interview quote, I don't like create entire works and then say, now I'm going to add some effects to that. That's not how it works. I start with these processes that some people would think of as effects as a part of the process of building the structure of the work. That's very interesting, Pamela. So, for instance, if Mozart could have his hands on the new technology, the new instruments of the 21st century, you're saying that that would just be a part of his compositional process, not just the notes. Well, I don't know about Mozart. I don't know what he would choose to use if he lived today. But there are people who I can say would have been very happy to have some of the technology that we've got. I always think about how Glenn Gould would have just been so delighted if Pro Tools had been around while he was still alive. He was a composer in a sense because he used to make sound works. He used to make these sort of radio pieces and they had to do with taking people's speaking voices and field recordings and layering them. Everybody works differently. There are composers who work today who are content to work with just a concert piano or who are composing entirely for acoustic instruments or just unaccompanied voice. The things I'm creating are based not just in structures with my voice or with other chamber instruments or whatever, and then adding a little bit of processing to those. It's more that the processing and all of that, to me, is part of the building of the structure of the composition. So with this as a backdrop, what is classical music in the 21st century? Uh, even though people seem to be noticing it now, I think it's been going on forever. I think from the earliest music that we're aware of, people were quoting other musics. As artists, that's kind of our job to assimilate things from our lives and things from our experiences to make new things. And there's nothing in the world that anybody's ever going to make that is 100% new because we all have a past and we all have experiences and everything that we know leading up to what we're doing goes into what we're doing. I think it's a little bit of a fallacy to think that people are only just now starting to cross those boundaries. Yeah. I just feel like the term classical doesn't reflect what we're doing. Would you say, Pamela, that you are a classical composer? I think it's a confusing term. Right off the bat, it has more than one meaning because it refers to a period. But it also can mean it's a qualifier that something is current. We also used to use the word new music. And new music used to mean contemporary classical music. And then at some point, like sometime in the late 80s to early 90s, it shifted from meaning contemporary classical music to meaning new wave and punk rock. New music could be any of those things. And because new is a qualifier, that means something that just came about. It's new. We used to call the music that we do 20th century music. And then 
one day we woke up and we're like, oops, this is not the 20th century anymore. <laughs> you know, so classical is another word that got this at least double, probably now triple set of meanings. into the unraveling. In the first section, Joni, you use the string quartet as a human sampling and playback device. These fragments taken from the dulcimer part in Joni's All I Want from the Blue Album. I think people are more familiar with this idea of sampling through the pop music lens and rap music and hip-hop music that famously built a lot of their hooks by taking a sample from some other thing. But I'm not talking about just taking a hook and making that as part of a beat that you're then going to rap over. I'm talking about this process of taking fragments of something that exists, chopping it up and using those as the building blocks to build something completely different out of it. I have used samples in my work for a long time, but as a rule, I never use samples of other people's music. Not because I think there's anything wrong with doing that, it's just that's not the way I work. The samples I use are usually samples of speech sounds, and it usually is speech from people who I've recorded talking, or sometimes I've recorded myself talking. Very rarely do I take those recordings from existing recorded works that other people have made. But in the case of Joni, started that piece by taking this Joni Mitchell song and grabbing little chunks. I tried to just aim for the interstitial like introduction. Basically it's her dulcimer and James Taylor's guitar and there's also a drummer who's playing bongos and there's a bass player on it. And so I just tried to take the sort of transitions and in-between parts of this sung song. You sing the line, I want to knit you a sweater. 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 And you sing the line, it's the unraveling, which in the listening to me, it sounds like a rhyme. (laughs) And yet neither of those two lines actually fall together. They're like from completely different sections of her song. I love it that you found those and brought them together in your mind because that's exactly what I'm hoping to do is just to make something that brings a completely different thought process to the person who's hearing it. It's the unraveling, it's the unraveling, it's the unraveling, it's the unraveling. I built kind of a version from all those little bits of Joni Mitchell and there were a couple of samples I grabbed that actually had fragments of her singing in it. And so in a few places, there was vocal, but it was never like a complete line of her vocal. It was always just like some fragment of it. The idea was that I'm going to crunch it up and then I'm going to transcribe that. And so that it will not be the samples, but it'll actually be instrumentalists playing these sounds. I built this sort of collage in Pro Tools, and then I meticulously transcribed all those fragments for the strings. Every once in a while, there's a little bit of voice in there. 
So I'll have to sing those parts. <laughs> and then in the second section, Lord on One, this is a kind of a broken record riff on the old Peter, Paul, and Mary 500 Miles. And the reason it's Lord I'm One is because in the song, it went, Lord, I'm one, Lord, I'm two, Lord, I'm three, Lord, I'm four, Lord, I'm 500 miles away from home. Lord, I'm one, Lord, I'm two, Lord, I'm three, Lord, I'm four, Lord, I'm five, Lord, I'm six, Lord, I'm seven, Lord, I'm eight, Lord, I'm nine, Lord, I'm ten, Lord, I'm eleven, Lord, I'm twelve, Lord, I'm thirteen. We used to listen to those records when I was pretty young. I was like an elementary school kid. I used to think it was really funny to like just not stop. Because in the song, it's going one, two, three, four, five hundred miles. So I just started going, Lord, I'm one, Lord, I'm two. And I just wouldn't stop ad nauseum until I was like up in the hundreds. Lord, I'm 796. Lord, I'm, you know. (laughs) And so, you know, making my family crazy. Almost like a 99 bottles of beer on the wall kind of an exercise, right? (laughs) I can just imagine you in the car yes. singing that song and your family saying, hey, is this enough? Are you going to get to a thousand yet? And <laughs> I thought it would be funny to make a bit of an homage to that song, but also a little bit of an homage to my weird, childish extension of it. Lord, I'm 38. Well, and speaking of weird, now we move to the third section, Travis, which is a finger-picking lesson. Well, I think that section would hold a special place in the hearts of anybody who ever played rhythm guitar or folk guitar. There is a finger-picking style called the Travis Pick. About half the songs that were popular in folk music had that picking style in it. Puff the Magic Dragon. I don't know if this is, see, I'm dating myself now, so I don't know if either one of you remembers that song at all. But also The Boxer by Simon and Garfunkel. Also, there's some more current rock songs that have that pick, but it was kind of a blink, 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 blink. So if you were learning to play guitar at that time, you would need to learn how to play the Travis pick. The thumb is going to alternate between the root of the chord on string five or six and the third or fifth of the chord on string four or five. When I was a kid, they used to have a program on PBS. You could learn the guitar. These alternating thumb notes will fall on the beat. Not only did we not have YouTube tutorials, but we didn't even have VCRs yet. So you couldn't even tape it. You had to tune in at four o'clock in the afternoon or whenever that was on and sit in front of the TV and take that lesson from that person. I created that piece from an amalgam of how I remember the guitar lessons. On beat one, we perform the pinch by picking string one with your second or middle finger while picking the root of the chord with your thumb. 
I just sort of created an amalgam of what I remembered those lessons to be. And so the narration on that piece is actually my voice. It's not taken from an actual lesson. We'll start by just focusing on the thumb. The thumb. Focusing on the thumb. With your thumb. Your thumb. I kind of wrote a lesson based on the lessons I remember. When I was making the piece for you guys, I probably looked it up on YouTube to see if I could find anybody teaching the Travis pick, just so that I could be reminded about some of the language they use. But then I just wrote out an explanation if I were going to teach somebody to do the Travis pick. But it's kind of a little bit of a lesson gone awry because I sort of made this fake lesson. I recorded the narration of it in my own voice. And then I chopped it up and built a piece out of it. The pinch. The pinch. We perform the, the pinch. pinch. The pinch. Pinch. We perform the pinch. The notes that the quartet is playing are the notes of that picking style. So out of four stringed instruments, I built one. So they're doing with pizzicato. And I've sort of alternated you guys so that one's playing one of the notes and one's playing the very next note in the pattern. And it's being played by all of them as if they were one guitar picker. Remember... We keep the nails on the left hand trimmed, but it's perfectly acceptable to grow them long on the right hand. There's even one place in that movement of the piece where I have them play the open strings of the guitar. It's that section that goes da 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 da. At that point, we're playing arco, we're no longer playing pizzicato. I think that's a really wonderful texture in the midst of all of the guitar-picking cacophony. And then the final section in the piece, Microbus, is a wistful reminiscence of your busking days in San Francisco. bittersweet song. Singing for the tourists on Jefferson Street. It's past, and that was then and this is now, so it's old memories of a time that's gone and it's never coming back because times don't come back. Sometimes things cycle around, but nothing is ever quite like it was the first time it happened. I was in my early 20s when I drove that hippie bus to California and then drove down the coast with my friends, and that was my youth. So there is kind of like a bittersweet memory to that. I also think that movement is the most sort of song-like. That's a movement that sort of goes almost in the territory of being one of those folk songs, one of those singer-songwriter kinds of songs in a way. And it's a kind of songwriting that I don't usually do these days. We sang all the words. 
Matthew, from the performer's perspective, what is it like to be immersed in the sound world that Pamela creates? Well, great question. And just reflecting on Microbus, the final movement of The Unraveling, that movement gives me goose pimples every time we play because I think it is so beautiful and reflective. Your voice is beautiful, your lyrics are beautiful, and I think that the sound world that the quartet is inhabiting, we're supporting what you're doing, but also living this experience with you as well. And again, I think that's why your music does sound so interested is because we as the performers get to live this music with you in real time and share the music making with you as well. Our commission that also has some electronics just shows the variety in your compositional skill, just being able to be expressive with these new technologies. And I think that that's one of the reasons why this particular disc innovates in many different ways. It was a joy to do, and you kind of compelled me to take a little trip down memory lane with that. I'll never forget, I'll never forget Pamela Z, Matthew Dietrich, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for having us. We sang all the 